Numbers chapter 14. We're going to do all 45 verses this morning. Numbers chapter 14. We'll, we'll read it as we go. We'll, we'll read it piece by piece as we, as we work through it this morning. So I'm going to, I'm going to pray, and then we've got to get going. We've got a lot of work to do this morning. So let's, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And my, I, will, I will confess, God, my heart and my mind are distracted. They are um, no, no big worries, but um, lots of little things on my heart and on my mind this morning. And um, I pray that you would help me uh, to be focused in on your word and, and leaning upon your grace, your spirit. Um, to teach me, uh, to sanctify me, um, to help me to know where I need to repent and where I need to follow and trust you in ways I am not. And I pray that you do that for all of us. I don't know if, if we're all struggling with distraction or just, just me this morning, but I, I have a distracted heart and a distracted mind. And I pray, God, that you would settle me and that you would that you would work on me as we, we, as we have this sermon. I pray that for all of us this morning, that you would do just really good work in our hearts, um, in our lives. We'll thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so we are in Numbers chapter 14. I read a little bit of this last week. We're going we're gonna to look at it in greater detail this week. Um, so... What we have in Numbers chapter 14 is we have four really important events. Four things happen. And we have to look, we have to look closely at each one of these events. Each one of them will teach us a very valuable lesson. Each of these events would have been just fine as a sermon all by themselves. There's a really good truth in each of these events a really good lesson for us in each of these events. We're going to look at them all this morning, and then at the end, we're going to see how these events will will help us to cling to Christ. Um, when when the author of Hebrews uh, was writing about this story right here, when he was writing about Numbers 13 and 14, he says the point of this for you and for me, for, for New Testament believers, is this. He says, for if we have come to share in Christ, or sorry, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. The author of Hebrews says, when you look at this chapter, it should be a warning to you, it should be an encouragement to you, it should be a reminder to you that if you are in Christ, you will hold your original confidence, your, your faith in Christ, your trust in the Gospel, you will hold that firm to the end. And so we know, we, we have way too many stories in our lives of people we care about who have obviously turned away from the Gospel. We thought that they belonged to Jesus. We thought that they were in, and then they turn away. They, 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 they choose a lifestyle that obviously is against the Word of God. They say they don't care about that. They want to do what they want to do. Or they, they say, I just don't believe the Gospel anymore. Church and the Bible and, the, and, the, and Jesus, just that's not for me anymore. 
And they show us that they never actually shared in Christ to begin with. They never actually belonged to Jesus to begin with. We don't want that for our lives. We are here this morning because we want to hold our confidence in Christ firm to the end. That's why we are here this morning. These events will help us. These four events, when we think about them together at the end, they will help us. So let's think about these events and let's think about the lessons that they teach us. Event number one in our story, the people refuse to believe. The people refuse to believe. That's how this chapter starts. We're going to look at verses 1-10 through in a second. We have to remember that the people of Israel, they have come all the way to the edge of the promised land. They are right there. God has brought them out of Egypt. He has made them a nation. He has done all these wonderful works. He has been with them. He has guided them. And He has brought them right to this land that He has promised to give them. They are right on the edge. And so they send some scouts in, some spies in, to to see uh, what the land is like. Twelve spies. And ten of those spies come back and say, we can't do it. We can't do it. We're like, we'd be, we'd be like grasshoppers in there. We would be destroyed. We'd go in there. We would get destroyed. There's no way. There's giants in the land. There's cities in the land that we, there's no way we could defeat. There's no way. Let's just turn back. I know God has promised this land to us. I know He has brought us this far, but there's no way. We can't do it. That brings us to chapter 14 and how the congregation now responds to these ten faithless spies. Chapter 14, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. It is vital for here, for us here to stop and to pause and to realize that they are, they are right now rejecting God. They are turning their back on God. It is, it is God who has brought them out of Egypt. It is God who has given them this leader. It is God who has designed this plan of redemption for them. And it is God who has promised them the land of Canaan. And so when they are turning their back on God's plan here, they are turning their back on God Himself. They are rejecting His Word, His promises, His redemption, His grace, His glory, His authority. They are rejecting God. Moses and Aaron and Joshua and, and Caleb, they realized this. Verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And, and Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. Verse 6 says. When, when they would tear their clothes in the, in the Old Testament time, that would be like a sign that someone had died. This is a sign of grief of deep sadness, of mourning. It's, it's as if Joshua and Caleb know this is not going to end well. If we turn our back on God, if we reject God, we are going to die. This is going to end in death. So they plead with the people. Verse 7, they said to the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out, 
is an exceedingly good land. Don't listen to these ten faithless spies. Listen to us. Verse 8, If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. For they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. I mean, this is the moment, right? This is the moment where if this was a movie, this is the moment where the people come to their senses and say, yeah, let's go get it. Let's go take it. Yeah! This is the, this is the speech that stirs them up. This is the speech that saves the day, right? Not in this story. In any, in any good movie, I mean, this is the speech that wins the day. This is when the, the guy, he convinces the girl to marry him. Or this is when the, the captain, uh, he convinces the army to, to let's, let's go, we can do this. Or, or when, you know, sometimes it's like one of those heist movies where the guy convinces everybody else to help him rob the casino or whatever. Some, sometimes the speeches aren't as good as others. But, but the point here is this, is this is the point of the story where you expect the, the, the people to get with it and go. And that's not what they do. Verse 10, then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. This is like getting to the three-quarter mark of the romantic comedy and the girl just starts throwing rocks at the guy, which I, th- I think would make most of those a better movie. Anyhow, um, that's not important right now. <laughs> the congregation says this is, this is, this is false accusation. This is, they're probably accusing Caleb and Joshua of, of like false testimony, bearing false witness, lying about them is probably what they're doing. I'm not sure what they're accusing them of, but, but they said it's time to throw rocks at these guys until they die. But, the halfway point there of, of verse 10, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. God is going to come and put an end to this foolishness. These people have seen what God can do. They've seen it. I mean, they saw the story of Exodus. They saw stuff we've never seen. I mean, they saw stuff. They saw the plagues come down. They saw the Red Sea part. I mean, they they saw the pillar of fire, the, the, the cloud by day, the manna from heaven. I mean, they saw stuff. And they, and they knew the promises God had made to Abraham. And they knew that God had, had miraculously delivered them all the way to this land that He had promised them. But they want nothing to do with it now. We need to stop here. And we need to, we need to stop. And we need to realize something about humans. About, about me and about you. About the children of Israel. We need to realize something about humans. This story is reminding us we are bad at believing the Gospel. We are bad at trusting the promises of God. We are bad at obeying God. We are, we are, if, if we are left to our own devices, this is who we are. We are these people. This is who we are. We don't, want, we don't care about the proof. We don't care about everything we've seen. We don't care about the evidence. We don't care about that. We don't care what God has done in the past. We don't want God. If we are left to our own devices, we do not want God. Have, have you, have you believed the gospel? Are you right now trying to, trying to know and obey the Bible? Are you trying to follow Jesus right now? Do you plan to try to follow Jesus for the rest of your life? 
If that's your story, then you have to understand God has been gracious to you. God has done work in your heart. Jesus in John chapter 6 is talking about this with His disciples because there's there's all these people who've seen Jesus do incredible things. I mean, they've seen the the feeding of the 5,000. They ate some of that food. They've seen some good stuff that Jesus has done. But then when Jesus starts to talk about trusting Him and following Him, a whole bunch of people want nothing to do with that. This is is a hard saying. We We can't get behind this. This is weird. We're out. Why does this happen? The disciples want to know. And Jesus says it's because... He says in John chapter 6, he says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. That'd be a really good couple of sentences for us to memorize. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. If we are going to follow Jesus, if we're going to believe the Gospel, if we're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to fight against sin, if you're going to try to be holy, if if you're going to try to know and apply the Word of God, I don't care if you've been saved for 30 minutes or for 30 years, you need the work of the Spirit of God in your life. You need the Spirit to give you, to, to convict you and to comfort you and to encourage you and to keep you and to give you wisdom to help you to understand and follow the Word of God. We need the Spirit of God. We need to pray that God will help us. If we're going to hate our sin, if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to love God, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. That's event number one. Event number two, God gives Moses a chance to intercede. God gives Moses a chance to intercede. So, so the people have, they have decided to rebel against God. They've decided not to believe. They've decided to turn their back on God. And it is judgment time. But before judgment comes, God gives Moses a chance to intercede. Verses 11 and 12 say, And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you, he says to to, to Moses, I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. I will start over with just Moses. God says, I'm going to give the rest of them a pestilence and I'm going to disinherit them. I'm going to destroy them, and they are going to be out of the family, out of the picture, out of the plan. I'm done with them. This is God's mercy. Wait, what? How is this mercy? That doesn't sound like mercy. That doesn't sound like mercy. It sounds like what they deserve, but it does not sound like mercy. How is this mercy? Well, it's mercy because... God tells Moses first. He tells Moses first. God didn't have to give them a warning. I mean, most of the time, if you're really going to get somebody, you don't let them know ahead of time. Right? This is not hide and seek where you yell going through the house, here I come, ready or not, here I come, ready or not, I'm getting closer. God is giving Moses a chance to plead for His people. God is giving Moses a chance to intercede. 
God didn't have to tell Moses what he was going to do. God could have just given the people a pestilence and been done with it. Moses could have just looked around and been the only one standing. God could absolutely have done that. And we would all have been, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's what I would have done. I mean, this is, this is really it. I mean, this is, they had a whole bunch of warnings. They, they had a whole bunch of complaints. They had a whole bunch of sin, a whole bunch of grumbling. I'm kind of done with them. They, we, have the, we have the golden calf episode. We got, a, we got a lot of grumbling since then. This is it. It's over. We're going we're gonna to start over with the nation of Moses, the Mosesites. We're done. But God, but God, instead of just doing it, He gives Moses a chance to, to, to beg for mercy on their behalf. Again, I want you to get this. I want, I want me to get this. I want us to understand. If, if we are here this morning, and we are trying to follow God this morning, and if we love Jesus this morning, it is because God does this with His people. He gives them chance after chance after chance. It's because God's attitude, His posture toward His people is merciful. He is eager to forgive. I would be, I would be gone right now if God wasn't eager to forgive His people. He is eager to forgive us. This is His posture towards us. This is why we are here this morning. Let's be thankful. This brings us to event number three. So God has, He has seen just the absolute rejection and rebellion of His people. And, and He gives Moses this chance before He just lights him up. He gives Moses a chance to intercede. And event number three, Moses prays for God's name to be famous. Moses is going to intercede, but it's important to see how he does it. Number three, Moses prays for God's name to be famous. Listen to this prayer in verses 13 through 19. This will help us to pray. This is a great model prayer. But Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it. He's saying, if you do this, if you wipe everybody out, if I'm the only one standing, God, then the Egyptians will hear of it. For you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of the people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that He swore to give to them, that He has killed them in the wilderness. And now please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised Saying the, and so now what Moses is going to do, he, he, he prays according to the glory of God. Now he's going to pray according to the Word of God. He's going to say, God, be who you have said that you are. Do what you have said that you do. He's praying according to the Word of God. Verse 17, And now please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is how you've described yourself, God. Forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. 
Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of Your steadfast love, just as You have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. God, Moses is saying, God, I know that You've forgiven them many, many times since Egypt. Too many times. I know. I know. But You are slow to anger. You abound in steadfast love. Yes, You punish the guilty, but You will. You will. You will show mercy. Please show mercy. Please remember the fame of Your name, Moses says. This is Moses' chief concern. It's not for the people. It's not for himself. There's a whole bunch of, there's a whole bunch of ways where this is just going to be devastating for all kinds of people that Moses loves. But that's not what Moses leads with in his prayer. Moses' prayer is all about God's reputation. Moses wanted the nations of, uh, around Israel to know how powerful God is. That's Moses' main prayer here. More than anything else, Moses wants God to be glorified. God, You have said that You are mighty to save. Please do it. You, are, you have said You are a God of steadfast love. Please be faithful to Your people. Please be merciful. We do not deserve it. But please show mercy for Your great name's sake. Please bring honor to Yourself by once again saving your people. This prayer teaches us a very valuable lesson. Because here's the thing that I often forget when I am praying for a loved one who is sick or I am praying for a loved one who hasn't believed the Gospel, when, when I'm praying for someone who's going through financial problems or, or family problems, when I'm praying about the stuff that's happening in our lives, it, it is good for me to pray for salvation and, and for, for healing and for deliverance and help and all of that. Absolutely. But in all of that, our main prayer should be, God, please bring glory to Yourself through this situation. Please handle this in a way that highlights Your character, Your promises that You have, that you have given us in the New Testament. All the promises that You have given Your people in, in your, your Christian church in the New Testament. Please act according to Your character, according to Your promises for Your glory. May Your name be made famous. This is how Moses prayed. This is how Jesus prayed when Jesus was teaching us how to pray. He says, this is how you start. You must start this, this way. This must be the, the preeminent thing in your prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. May your name be holy. May it be set apart. May your name be honored above all other names. This is what we're praying for. And we can be sure that God is going to answer that prayer because God is always, always doing what brings Him glory. If God ever stopped trying to bring glory to Himself, I say this a lot and it's good for us to remember because I forget it a lot as well. If God ever stopped trying to bring Himself glory above all things, He would stop being God it would mean that he thought that someone else deserved more glory than he did he would stop to be he would stop being god and the the world would fall apart quite literally 
God is always going to do what brings Him glory. So we as a church can pray for this. When we pray for the salvation of our loved ones, for the healing of our loved ones, for the, for the help of our loved ones, we pray, God, please bring Yourself glory through this. Please act according to the promises that You have made to us. And then number four, event number four, the rebels aren't allowed into the promised land. And right now you're thinking, man, this sermon has been heavy. I haven't really enjoyed that this too much. Um, it's not going to get any better. It's, it's going to get heavier now. The rebels are not allowed into the promised land. One of the most consequential stories in the Bible it gets talked about in the Psalms. It gets talked about in the Prophets. It gets talked about in the book of 1 Corinthians. It gets talked about in the book of Hebrews. This is a, this is a moment in the history. This is a, this is a moment where, where, where God shows His people, no, you, you have to keep believing the promises of God. You have, to, you have to trust and obey Me. God says, verse 20 through 45, 20 through the end of the chapter, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to Your Word. And by that He means, I am not going to wipe out the entire nation. There are going to be many people who survive this. I am not going to turn my back on the promise I made to Abraham. I'm not going to turn my back on the plan of redemption. I'm not going to turn my back on the, the plan to bring the Messiah through the, the people of Israel. I'm not, I'm not turning my back on my plan to bless the world through Abraham's family. I have pardoned. I'm not, I'm not just done with His people. I'm not just done with my plan of redemption. But, verse 21, but truly... As I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. So, so God is going to do what brings Him glory. This is why you and I are really hesitant about praying that God will do what brings Him glory because oftentimes He, he packages it in ways we don't want Him to. This is probably not all that Moses meant. Moses was probably hoping that God would package his, his plan to bring himself glory. He would package it in a different way. Verse 22, None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice. That, that God says, you've put me to the test ten times. I don't know if he actually means that, the, that God is thinking of ten exact Situations, or he's just saying it the way my mom used to say it. I've told you a hundred times. I'm not sure which way. Probably, probably the mom way. Either way, it's, it's, it, 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 the point is, you've had plenty of chances. Some commentators think that he says these ten times because he's trying to get them to remember the ten plagues that he brought down on Egypt to rescue them. You have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice. 
shall see the land that I swore. None of you, none of you shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despised me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went. And his descendants shall possess it. Now since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea. Go back the way that you came, God is saying. Go back. You wanted to die in Egypt? Go back to Egypt. You wanted to go back to Egypt? Go ahead. Verse 26, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. You said, you have said, it's better for us to die in the wilderness. Fine. Verse 29, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And of all your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward. So, so essentially, all those who are old enough to go to war, who should have gone into the promised land, but refused to, all those listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in. And they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness. And your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years. And shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days A year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years. They're going to wander in the wilderness 40 years. And you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all the wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In the wilderness they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land. So these these ten spies who brought this evil, false report and and led people astray, of those, the, the, the men who brought up a bad report of the land died by a plague before the Lord. God says, you're not even going to make it to the wilderness. You're not going anywhere. You're going to die now. And they do. Of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive. And then after that, when they should have been repentant and humble before God, this should have been, I mean, if, if Caleb's speech didn't do it, this this obvious displeasure that God has and the way He just strikes down these ten faithless spies. This should have been enough to bring these people to their senses. But that's not what happens. In verse 39, they decide to to take matters into their own hands. They decide to do this weird like, like fake repentance. Fake courage. This, this weird self-reliance. 
When Moses told these words in verse 39 to all the people of Israel, the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the heights of the hill country, saying, here we are, we will go to the the place where the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. So they say, yeah, we've sinned. We're ready to do it now. We're ready to go in now. We're ready. Here we go. Moses said, why now are you transgressing the command of the Lord when you will not succeed? Didn't you just hear? God says, no, you're not going into the land. God has taken it away from you. He's giving it to your children in 40 years. It's over. Verse 42, do not go up, for the Lord is not among you, lest you be struck down before your enemies. Don't do this. No, it's over. Verse 43, for there the Amalekites and Canaanites are facing you, and you shall fall by the sword. You would have, you would have destroyed them if you would have obeyed God. It's too late now. You shall fall by the sword because you have turned back from following the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. Verse 44, But they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord, that the presence of God is not with them, nor Moses departed out of the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites, of course, who lived in that hill country, came down and defeated them and pursued them even to Hormah. They reject the word of the Lord. So, so yes, they, they are defeated in battle. And so if you're not one of the ten who got the plague, or you're not one who is killed in this ill-advised attack, you're, you're now sentenced to 40 years of wandering. The entire Exodus generation, everyone who saw, they, they, all of the 20 years old and up, who, who saw what God did in saving them from Egypt. But when they got time to go in and take the land... Nah. They have turned their back on God, and now God is turning His back on them. Hebrews teaches us, Hebrews teaches us that this is God rejecting these people. They have rejected God now he is going to reject them. Hebrews 3, 7 through 14, talking about this story. Some of the most sobering verses in the Bible. Hebrews 3, 7 through 14 says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Then he says, verse 12, take care, brothers. Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then here's the key verse. Here it is. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Far too often, 
We see people we love and we care about and we've helped to minister to. And maybe even at times they were an encouragement to us and we see them just fall away. We, we see them turn their back on all of it. Why? We see that they actually never came to share in Christ. They never belonged to Jesus. Because they did not hold their original confidence, their, their faith in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. They did not hold it firm to the end. Let that not be said of any of us. Does this passage, I'll tell you what it does to me, it makes me a little bit fearful. It makes me a little bit worried. Because I know, I know I have days where I feel like a fraud. I was writing this sermon and then I realized later that my children are going to be watching this on the live stream. And as soon as I said, because I, I, I kind of read it out loud this morning, as soon as I said, I feel like a fraud, I know that my younger children are going to think that I said, I feel like a frog. Um, and they're going, to be re- they're going to be really concerned about the application part of this sermon. Dad's a toad. No, a fraud. I feel like a fraud. I feel like a fake. I feel like a phony. I say to myself, how can I, how can someone like me possibly actually be a Christian? Because we have these everyday struggles. These everyday fights against sin. And I know for many of us, everyday fights against unbelief, or not sure if we actually believe. We see people that we, we would have sworn they were in. They had to be in. They had to be Christians. It had to be. They encouraged us. How are they gone now? We get afraid. If you have those fears, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what a really wise theologian minister told the king of France. Now, I'm not going to tell you the way he told him because it was 300 years ago or so and it was in French. Um, and um, I was reading about this and I realized most of the words I know that are in French are actually Spanish or German. So um, I can't do French. The, 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 so I'm going to paraphrase for you. This, the, the king of France was a believer. He was a devout believer. But he was like many, and he had inner struggle within him. He just, he said, some days I feel, I feel like a phony. Some, some days I feel like my love for God is so cold. My interest in the things of God is so weak. Some days I wonder, do I actually belong to Jesus? Am I actually holding my confidence firm to the end? A wise minister there in Paris said to him three things that are really important for us as well. He said, does this, uh, first thing he said, does this, does this struggle, does it bother you? 
Does it concern you? When you wonder or not, do you, do you actually belong to Jesus? Does that bother you? Does that keep you up at night? He says, yes, it bothers me. The minister says that's a really good sign. The people who don't belong to Jesus don't care if they belong to Jesus or not. It's a really good sign if you care. It's a really good sign if you're struggling. It's a good sign. And then he says, King, what amount of money, what amount of silver or gold could someone give you in order to turn you away from Jesus? If you had to trade your faith in Jesus in, what amount of money would buy you away from Him? What amount of money would cause you to turn your back on Jesus? And the king said, no amount of money. I'd never, I would never turn my back on Jesus. I don't care how much money you give me. I don't care if you rip... And this is what he did say in French. He said, I don't care if you rip... Um, and this, this happened back then. I don't care if you rip my limbs off of me. I'm never turning my back on Jesus. Minister, that's a pretty good sign. And then, and then the king said, but I struggle. I struggle though. It's a fight. It's a war within me. The minister says to the king, king, we're at war with France. And this is again, they were always at war. No, they were at war with England, sorry. They were always at war with England. So this is just a thing. They were, um, if you open up a history book from, you know, the year 1300 to the year 1800, they were probably at war with England. King said, the minister said to the king, which of your warriors shine the brightest? Which of your warriors are you most proud of? The ones that are here in the middle of the kingdom, guarding the interior, don't see much action? Not seeing, not, not seeing too much action? Or are you, are you most proud of the ones who are there on the boundary, who are fighting every single day, struggling every single day, which warriors shine brighter to you? And the king said, the ones on the boundaries, the ones fighting every single day, the ones struggling every single day. And the minister says to the king, one day, the king's going to say the same thing about your struggle, about your fight. Your faith is going to shine one day. Your faith is going to shine one day because of the struggle. So church, it does us no good, it does us no good to pretend like the warning passages aren't there. The New Testament is filled with warning passages. They make every single one of us uncomfortable, but it does us no good to pretend they're not there, because they are. The truth is, if you have come to share in Christ, you will hold your confidence firm to the end. The other truth is, it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be day in, day out. You're going to feel like a fraud. And a frog, maybe, I don't know. You're going to feel like a fraud. You're going to feel like a phony. You're going to feel like, I, there's no way. There's no way Jesus loves me. Not after this. Not after the way I just spoke to my children. Not after what I just looked at. Not after what I just said. Not after what I just did. There's no way. I'm done. I'm out. It's over. The word here for us, keep fighting. Keep believing. For if we come 
if we have come to share in Christ, we, we will hold our original confidence firm to the end. You ask yourself sometimes, how much, how much could someone give me in order to, to cause me to turn away from Jesus? In order for me to say, nah, Jesus isn't really my only hope in life and death. Nah, I don't really need my faith in the Gospel. How much money would it take? Hold your confidence firm to the end. Alright, well, so we've been, we've been smacked in the face with all kinds of fun theology this morning. We, 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 we started by seeing just how sinful we are and how desperately we need the continued work of the Spirit of God in our lives. And we, we saw just how patient God is. His attitude toward us. His posture towards us. His patience. And then we were reminded that, that He does all things for His own glory. I want to encourage you as we close to consider the cross of Jesus Christ. To think with me about the events that we have, we have thought about here in Numbers 14 and think about how on the cross, Jesus Christ brought all of them to their fullest completion. How on the cross, the, the problem of our sin and our desperate need for the Spirit of God, how that came, that, that came to fruition on the cross. That is where Jesus dealt with our sin. And that is where Jesus guaranteed that we would have His Spirit. On the cross, we saw the, the patience of God. This kind, merciful posture He has towards His people. And on the cross, we saw that this is where God is going to get His most glory. God could have gotten glory just by tossing all of us in hell. That's how He could have decided to get glory. But instead... He decides to punish His Son for our sins. That's how He decided to get glory for Himself. I encourage you, as you, are, as you desire to hold firm to your confidence right to the end, I encourage you to look at the cross. Do it this morning. Do it tomorrow. Do it Tuesday. Every day for the rest of your life. See the mercy kindness of God through Jesus Christ on the cross and hold your confidence firm to the end. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your Word and there are, there are ways in which it is hard for us. There are ways in which the warnings make us uncomfortable. But I pray, God, that we will go away encouraged this morning knowing that that. It is the Spirit who brings life. And the Spirit is within us. And, and even though our flesh is no help at all, Jesus says in the book of John, our flesh is no help at all. And we feel that. We, we can trust that the Spirit of God is bringing life. That He is changing us and growing us and giving us courage and giving us faith. And He is helping us to, to keep our confidence firm to the end. I pray that through Your Word, by Your grace, your Spirit would continue to help us. Pray that You would help us to fight against sin. To fight to, to honor and glorify You. To hold fast our belief in the Gospel right up until the day where we see Your Son face to face. Help us 
It's in his name we pray. Amen.